please be aware that the comments, views, opinions shared on this podcast are not meant to diagnose a medical problem and or legal problem. If you do have a medical problem or legal problem, kindly contact a professional. Welcome to An Apple A Day, a podcast, a resource, a community. Share your experiences and learn from others as we overcome barriers and learn to live a happy, healthy life with a disability. Welcome to the community. Here's your host, Jimmy Apple. Welcome to another episode of An Apple A Day. I'm your host, Jimmy Apple. How you doing today, my friends? Before we start, let me remind you, An Apple A Day is brought to you by www.famousapple.com. Famousapple.com is the home site for this podcast. You got a minute? Go over there, check it out. Hey, how you making out with your medication? I want to make sure that you're keeping up with your medication. It's so important. It's so, so, so important. And don't tell me you can't get it because there's plenty of drugstores that are delivering for free, especially during this pandemic. So there's no excuse not to have your medications. You got to make sure you keep up with it. It's so important, my friends. So important. And also your rehab. All right. I know the rehab offices are closed, but you had the exercises. You got to keep doing them. You don't want to lose ground. When the, when this is all over and the offices open up again, you don't want to you don't want to lose ground. You don't want to plateau out. So keep doing your exercises. Unless the doctor told you not to do it, keep doing it. Work on it, my friends. Work on it. Gives you something to do during the day, too, right? How you making out otherwise? You keeping in touch with other people? You talking to other people? I know I've been getting a lot of calls from some of you guys, and I like it. I, I enjoy speaking with you. And the letters, keep the emails coming. Keep them coming. We've been having some good conversations. We've been having some good conversations over on Facebook. And we have the group up now that's our, our disabled living group, living with a disability. You go over and join the group over there. It's uh, Facebook dot com forward slash groups forward slash disabled living that's an apple a day group and we have polls up over there and some information like did you know that you should change your cabin filter in your car now the cabin filter is what filters the air coming into the car where you sit so the next time you have an oil change done on your car have them change the cabin filter very important you should do that. I, I do it. I used to do it once a year. Now, I plan on doing it once every six months. And some people say, well, that's overkill. But you know what? There's a virus out there. And I'm going to keep myself and my family safe. So it's worth the extra 30, 40 bucks, 50 bucks, whatever it is. It's worth it to keep it, keep my family safe in the car. And I think it's worth it for you as well. So that's a big thing. The other thing is, is... I'm going to start stocking up now. I'm not going to go crazy overboard like people did with toilet paper. But I'm going to start now getting filters for my air conditioner for the house. And I would suggest you do the same. If you have an air conditioner in your house, I would start now looking for filters for it. Because they say that the heat is going to take half, half the life of the virus come the summer. But what about in your house when you have the air conditioner on? Well, so much for the heat, right? Well, I, I want to have the air coming into my house being as fresh as possible. And they say change it every two months. Well, I'll be changing mine every month. Trust me, if not sooner. But 
these are things that you might, might want to start looking out for. Now, another thing is, do you know that the coronavirus can live on your eyeglasses? That's right. Think about it. Now, they, they tell you, wash your hands frequently. Well, you know, you have to clean your glasses frequently during the day, too. If you wear eyeglasses, you have to clean your glasses frequently during the day. That's just as important as washing your hands. These are just little things, little tips that are coming out as we go along here. So they're very important. Now, something else I want to share with you, maybe this might put your mind at ease if you get told that you have to go into a doctor's office. Over the course of the last few weeks, I came up with a staph infection on my hand. Now, don't ask me how. I don't know. It's not the coronavirus or anything like that. But I came up with this infection. It's affecting a couple of the fingers on my right hand and on my left hand. So I did the virtual doctor's appointments and it got to the point that they had to see me in person, which I wasn't too happy about. At first, they told me to go to the hospital and I told them, absolutely not. I won't go to the emergency room. So they set it up that I can come to their office. Now, what they do when you go to the office, the first appointment that I had was to have an x-ray done. So I had it done off-site from the hospital. And the way it was set up, it was set up for one patient. You can't bring anyone else with you into the room, into not even into the waiting room. Only you are allowed into the office. And anyone that's with you has to wait outside in their car. You go in, you're the only one scheduled. You go in, you have your x-ray done and you leave. They don't have another schedule for another hour. They clean the entire office. It's only one person at a time. So you're not in there with other people. You have to wear the face mask and the gloves going in and the face mask and the gloves going out. But you're not in there with other people. You're not around other people. So it's pretty safe. Then I had to go yesterday to the infectious disease doctor. Now this one here, when I got to the front door, I had a call upstairs and they told me which room I was going to go to when I went into the office building. Again, nobody can go in with you. Only you can go in. I was met by a nurse at the front door who took my temperature going in and then I went up to the room that they told me to go to. When I got up there, I was met by another nurse, nobody else in the room, and I went in. The doctor came in. We did the, the office visit. Very pleasant. He did what he had to do. I was in and out in a matter of 15 minutes. 15 minutes. All doctor's appointments should be like that. But just to put your mind at ease, they are exercising such stringent policies that if you do have to go to your doctor's office, don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. Don't put, don't compromise your health. Believe me, it's better to do the virtual visit. It is. But if you have to go, don't compromise your health. If you get there and you don't feel comfortable, you can always say, I'm not staying, right? So, but they don't want to get sick either. So they're being very strict about it. It's a good thing. But like I said, the virtual visits are much better. They're much safer. They're much quicker. But if you do have to go, don't hesitate. But if you get there and you don't feel comfortable, you don't have to stay. Now, look, we got a good one for you today. I have an update from Social Security about their offices, the openings and closings. I've got a report here about the disabled people being discriminated against, believe it or not, during this pandemic. And I also have our friends from Hope for Ataxia, Mark and Courtney. We had that interview today. So sit back, relax, 
and we're going to take it right from here. We're going to get started right now. I have an update on Social Security offices by Andrew Saul, Commissioner, Social Security Administration. He writes, Earlier this week, the White House issued national guidance regarding opening up America again. We are evaluating this information as it relates to our agency and continuing to closely monitor the COVID-19 situation across the nation. In fulfilling Social Security's mission, when we reopen offices to the public, we will provide safe environment for both people we serve and our employees. As we continue to develop our plans, our offices will remain closed to the public for face-to-face -face services, and our employees will continue to work remotely and provide services to the public. We will provide updates moving forward and post updated information on the status of our offices by state at our website. Our agency will provide these updates directly and please disregard other sources of information regarding the status of our offices. We will continue to provide the vital service the public relies on. Please visit our website for more information about our services during this pandemic. All right, the website that they're talking about is www.ssa.gov forward slash coronavirus. That's www.ssa.gov forward slash coronavirus. That's where you get all the information on whether your office, your local office is open or closed and any other information that you need about Social Security. So check that out. All right, let's move on here. All right, this next report that I have here, I find this very, very disturbing that this even has to be. You know, it was only about a week or two ago in New York State, an order was given to EMS and the EMTs that if they went to a call where someone had a heart attack, a heart attack call, and they didn't have a, a pulse, they weren't to do any kind of CPR on them. They were to just declare them dead and not bring them to the hospital. That is such a scary thought. You weren't even going to try to revive them because they said they had to work with getting the, the COVID-19 people, the coronavirus people into the hospital. I'm a heart patient. I've had two heart attacks. I've had three strokes. And you were going to, if God forbid, I, I had another heart attack and you came to my house and said, well, I can't find a pulse on him. Just leave him. And we'll call the coroner without even trying to revive me. That's scary. That's a scary thought. You're making a choice of a DNR for me. A do not resuscitate. That's a scary thought. And why? Because I'm a heart patient? My God. Well, this came out. This report came out. And I want to read it to you. It's, it's not long, but it's long enough. It says, Feds, feds urge to prevent COVID-19 disability discrimination. The Trump administration is being pushed to ensure that people with disabilities aren't illegally denied health care during the coronavirus pandemic. More than 400 organizations are calling on the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services to issue additional guidance outlining how federal anti-discrimination laws apply in the event that medical care must be rationed. Already, the HHS Office for Civil Rights issued a bulletin in March clarifying that Americans with Disabilities Act 
Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act and other laws prohibiting discrimination in federally funded health programs continue to apply during the pandemic. As such, people with disabilities should not be denied medical care on the basis of stereotypes, assessments of quality of life, or judgments about the person's relative worth based on the presence or absence of disabilities, the bulletin states. The move came after disability advocates filed complaints with the HHS Office for Civil Rights alleging that plans established by multiple states telling health care providers how to allocate care in the event that hospitals become overwhelmed would compromise people with disabilities. But in the letter sent this month, the American Association of Peoples with Disability, the Autism Society, the National Disability Rights Network, and hundreds of other aging disability and patient organizations indicated that a more detailed directive is needed. We greatly appreciate the guidance that has already been issued, reads the letter, but significant confusion remains in the healthcare provider community. Specifically, groups are asking HHS to clarify to states and healthcare providers that federal law bars treatment from being allocated based on the assumptions about a person's disability and their prospects for survival or the likelihood that they will require more treatment. In addition, decisions shouldn't be made based on life expectancy. People with disabilities qualify for reasonable modifications, which can include interpreter services, longer baseline times to respond to treatment, and other services, the letter said. As states move forward with rationing plans in the face of imminent shortages of ventilators and other supplies, hospital beds, and staff, it is urgent that you issue additional guidance, the group wrote. The National Council on Disability, an independent federal agency, tasked with advising the President and Congress on disability issues, has simply asked HHS to issue further guidance. Mark Weber, a spokesman for HHS, said the agency plans to reply to the advocates' correspondence, but did not elaborate further. The Civil Rights Office has resolved complaints this month that were filed by disability advocates against Alabama and Pennsylvania after both states agreed to make changes. The very fact that a letter like this was needed is is scary. It's frightening. Now, I must say that since New York has reversed that proposal and they are treating heart patients on the scene, but even that, the fact that that order came down, even if it lasted for a couple of days, how many people might have died because of that, that didn't have to die simply because they had a heart condition? It's scary. And who? Who gives these people the right to make these judgment calls? They're not God. All right, let's move on. Let me ask you, have you ever heard of the disease ataxia? Do you know what it is? I didn't. I didn't know what it was. I never heard of it until I met two friends of the podcast, Mark and Courtney. They suffer from the disease ataxia. Not only do they suffer from it, but they're brave people who are trying to shine a light on it. And they started this organization, Hope for Ataxia. They want to educate people about it. It's a, it's a terrible disease. It's a very physical disease. And if you don't know what it is here, I have some information from the National Ataxia Foundation. 
And it says, ataxia is a degenerative disease of the nervous system. Many symptoms of ataxia mimic those of being drunk, such as slurred speech, stumbling, falling, and incoordination. These symptoms are caused by damage to the cerebellum, the part of the brain that is responsible for coordinating movement. Ataxia treatment involves co a combination of medication to treat symptoms and therapy to improve quality of life. People affected by ataxia may experience problems with using their fingers and hands, arms, legs, walking, speaking, or moving their eyes. Ataxia affects people of all ages. Age of symptoms onset can vary widely. From childhood to late adulthood, complications from the disease are serious and oftentimes debilitating. Sometimes, some types of ataxia can lead to an early death. Ataxia symptoms vary by person and types of ataxia. Rate of progression varies as well. Symptoms may, may worsen slowly over decades or quickly over mere months. Common symptoms of ataxia are lack of coordination, slurred speech, trouble eating and swallowing, deterioration of fine motor skills, difficulty walking, gait abnormalities, eye movement abnormalities, tremors, heart problems. Individuals with ataxia often require use of wheelchairs, walkers, and or scooters to aid in their mobility. I'm telling you, this is a terrible disease, and that would be enough to make somebody become severely depressed, but not these two people that I, that I spoke with. And I wanted to introduce them to you. Again, their name is Mark and Courtney. They started this website. It's called hopeforataxia.org. It's www.hopeforataxia.org. They also have a group site on Facebook with quite a following. And that's www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash HFA. That's www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash HFA, Hope for Ataxia. Go over there, check them out. But in the meantime, I want to introduce you to them. We have a, an interview, and they're going to explain. Like I said, these guys, are they have the disease. They have the disease, and who better to explain it? And they're not doctors. They're not scientists, but they're telling, they're giving you firsthand information. They're giving you firsthand knowledge about ataxia. So here, without further ado, let me, let me connect you with Mark and Courtney. Okay, we have Mark and Courtney on the line. Now, I want to let you guys know, they were supposed to be on a month ago at this point. <laughs> and not their problem, not their fault. It was my fault the whole time. But they're here today, they're nice people, and I want to introduce you to them. They're from a group called Hope for Ataxia. Now, if you don't know what ataxia is, these guys are going to tell you everything you never knew. Mark, Courtney, how are you this morning? We're great. Thank you for having us on. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being so patient with us. Let me ask you, right off the bat, right out of the gate, because... As I told you, I never knew what ataxia was. Can you tell us straight up, what is ataxia? Yeah, sure. Um, so ataxia is a degenerative disease of the nervous system. So it affects the cerebellum, which is the part of the brain that is the powerhouse for 
found the coordination in any of those movements. So if any, um, is anything where it's genetic that affects that area or when there's injury to any of the signals that go to the cerebellum? Okay. Now, is it is it something that is it something that you're born with, or is it something that you can catch, or is it like is it a birth? What I'm trying to get at mm-hmm. is, is it a is it a birth defect or right. is it genetic? Mm-hmm. Great question. So, can it be transferred um, like like color flu? No. Um, so it's both hereditary um, and it's acquired. So. Um, you can be born with uh, the gene, so you can have either a mutation of a gene um, and it's passed down through generations, um, or you can have some sort of traumatic brain injury, a stroke, or an infection, or some sort of um, thing that happens later in life that actually affects the cerebellum. So, you know, let's say you're in like a, an accident or a traumatic brain injury, that can affect that area of the brain, then you'll have uh, ataxia symptoms. Okay. And now, it, I know it affects, it affects your speech. Now, mm-hmm. does it affect the thought process? So, um, the symptoms definitely depend on type of ataxia, and it's not the same across the board. And Mark can definitely add to this. Um, but essentially, um, it can affect things like your cognition and emotions um, over time uh, later on as well. Um, so things like, like you mentioned, speech. So like autosarthia, um, so like any sort of fine motor movements, gait abnormalities. Um, and then, as I said, it can affect emotion cognition. Mark, would you want to add anything? Yeah, sure. When, when Courtney says um, these are things that can uh, can happen that's a really broad range. I mean, certainly myself and her suffer from a symptom called dysarthria, which is the slurred speech. We've talked to other people with dyslexia that don't have this symptom. Um, so, I mean, it kind of depends on what variety. There are over 60 varieties of ataxia, probably more, maybe some that haven't been discovered yet. And everybody in everybody's personal experience is different. So some people experience symptoms, other people don't. Um, and the degree to which they experience the symptoms can differ too. So, in, in other words, you not it's not an across the board like, for lack of a better example, if somebody gets a broken arm, their arm is broken. Yeah. If somebody gets right. ataxia, it's not one size fits all. It can be different symptoms, different results, right? Like one guy may right. have. Go ahead. Yeah, but it's not. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Um, it's, I'd say the symptoms that are most widespread are the issues with the balance, coordination, and probably some uh, element of cognitive uh, issues like memory, uh, mood changes, or... Uh, mental or emotional kind of uh, issue. 
being that you said the cognitive issues, does it stop you from having an independent life? Sorry, uh, I, did, I didn't uh, understand it. I'm sorry? It, it stopped me from what? An independent in, life. Oh, I, again, that depends on the person. I think uh, Courtney and I, our version of ataxia um, doesn't seem to be as aggressive as other forms, but still we certainly need some assistance. But I mean, there are other people who have like walking aids and are in wheelchairs and in some extreme cases are bedridden and stuff like that. Right. But, uh, it, all, it all depends. But that's what I was asking. If it, it's not an across-the-board thing, where if one person no. one person can have it and still be independent, and then other per, another person can mm-hmm. have it and can can be completely an invalid, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it it definitely yeah, it, it varies from person to person for sure, depending on the type. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, here's a, here, now this may be a foolish question. If I'm asking you foolish questions, please don't take offense at it. But mm-hmm. can, yeah. can this be transmitted from person to person? In so, um, transferred in terms of, like, the coughing or the flu, definitely not. Okay. Um, so, the really often is transferred. Um, there's two main ways that you can get attacked through. It's either hereditary or it's acquired. So um, it's either going to be within the family, so it's actually part of the DNA. So if there's a gene mutation, it'll take. So I'll, I'll tell you, I'll take myself as an example. So both my parents have a defective gene, and so I happen to have. Um, I actually carry the symptoms. So they're carriers that actually show the symptoms of ataxia. So both my parents have to have it in order for me to have it. Um, so. It can only go through the family that way, or if you've been in some sort of there's been some sort of trauma in your life that's that's affected the cerebellum. All so right. it can't really be taught past like a cough or something. No, what I was saying. Suppose now you you go out and you you meet you meet a nice guy and you you get married. Now you carry the gene you said, but he mm-hmm. does he doesn't. And now you guys get married and you have kids. Does that necessarily yeah. mean that your child is going to carry the gene also? So, um, so Mark and I both have obsessive ataxia. Uh-huh. So the way it was explained to me is that, you know, um, if I have a child with a partner who does not carry the gene, my child did not have it. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So if you have a dominant gene... So um, ours is recessive. So dominant means only only one copy of the mutated gene is passed down. Then there's a there's a, a chance that it will be passed down from generation to generation, and you will see that. Well, interesting. Now, mm-hmm. but, go ahead. I'm sorry, Mark. Um, yeah, when it comes to dominant genes, fairly uncomplicated. Basically, if a parent has the gene, they're going to pass it to their kids. Whereas in our case, both of our parents, it's a recessive gene. Both of our parents are carriers, right? 
uh-huh. which means they they don't have any symptoms, they, but they can pass they can pass it on. And if two if two carriers have children, their children have I think a twenty five percent chance of getting it. Really? Now, mm-hmm. now is that that's it? That's it. Both parents are carriers. Now, is there any way? Now, again, forgive me if this is a foolish question, but is there any way mm-hmm. that you, as a carrier, or you as having the gene, could pass it to somebody that doesn't have the gene? Like you said, if you met a partner that doesn't have the gene, can you pass the disease to that partner? No, it's only genetic. It's only it would, okay. It would go. Yeah, it would go down to the next generation. Okay, that's what I was trying to get at. That, wow. Mm-hmm. Now, is there any cure for this? Or are they working on a cure for it? Um, they, uh, there are a few good organizations that are working on research and development into a cure, but at and I believe it was started about. 20, 20 to 30 years ago is when research actually started. Um, but there hasn't been any meaningful progress really? in terms of treatment tre- right here. Yeah, I mean, just to follow up on that, um, there, there isn't a definitive cure. I mean, there's medications for the symptoms. So um, because it affects the nervous system, um, you know, people might have symptoms like tremors, um, you know, balance. They might feel neuropathy. Um, so there are medications um, to help with symptoms similar to, like, Parkinsonism, I guess. Um, but in terms of uh, here, I know that they're doing clinical trials for different types of dominant ataxia, um, and I'm not sure what the focus is in that. I- I'm going to ask you a question. This is a hard question. If you want to tell me, it's none of my business. Mm-hmm. What's the mobility rate? What's the, the life expectancy of somebody with ataxia? Is there... Well, it, again, sorry. Again, this depends on the type. If we're talking something like Friedrich's ataxia, which is one of the more common forms of ataxia, um, I think, and Courtney can correct me, but I think it's about uh, 15, 20 years after diagnosis. I don't know. You're kidding. Um, yeah. And there, there are things like childhood forms, like this one called a taxi, a tele, sorry, tele, yeah, yeah, a we just call it AT for short. But, um, yeah, it starts in childhood, and children are generally uh, bedridden, and they don't, I believe, they don't live past, like, 20. Oh, my that. Right? So, for some people, the outlook is very severe, but uh, it all depends on what variety you have. Mm-hmm. I've done some reading up on it when I first met you guys, and I didn't mm-hmm. realize how is this is this widespread. I mean, do a lot of people carry this? 
Like, you know, you... you well, will... um, sorry, I can answer that. Um, there, there are some numbers that things are, are sort of unclear. In the USA, um, I believe there's about 150, according to the NF, there's the National Ataxia Foundation. There's about 150,000 people in the U.S. with ataxia. Um, now, and in Canada, uh, we're not really sure of what the numbers are. We, we anticipate it's about one-tenth of that. So somewhere between ten and 15,000. But again, that number varies because... It also depends on testing methods. Sometimes when people have these conditions, they don't want to get tested, and they maybe don't report to their doctors about their situation. So, you know, that number could vary slightly. But it's in any case, it's very rare. Like in the U.S., if you take the number 150,000 and compare it to a population of 300 million, it's like a drop in the bucket. Right. It, it seems relatively low. But did they test for this at birth? Is this something that they test at birth for, or is this something that you have to request a test for? No. Yeah, it's something you have to request a test for. Like, say, maybe you have... Uh, the parents know that it runs in the family, uh -huh. then they would ask. They would ask to have a test done, maybe. But typically, it's something that is tested for later in life. But I mean, it it depends on family history and whatever. Let me ask: If they caught this early enough, if they did test at birth, if they caught it, if they caught it early enough. Isn't isn't there something they could do medication wise, or is that or we are we're not up to that yet? I don't think we're at that point yet. Wow, that that's scary. Yeah, I mean, if um, if you do catch it early, I mean, it's um, it's really doing things to slow the progression of the disease. Um, but there's no actual like. Or anything. Right. Um, if you're if if you've caught it early and you've noticed symptoms, you can take medication to avoid symptoms, or you can do a lot of um, you know self care, changing lifestyle, those sorts of things, um, and at a younger age to uh, you know try to combat the progression of it, or even adjust to it. Maybe like right. not not adjust, but but grow into it, because the, I think mm -hmm. the, I think to get it later on in life it would be be such a surprise that yeah. you know you're already set in a certain way and now you have to adjust to a different way. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. the, yeah. Now, yeah, it's definitely really um it's a hard adjustment. You know, I think uh definitely at any age. Um but certainly, you know, when you're older you've already, you know, gone through those different stages of life and to have something really drastically change and um, the way you're living independently before has really altered. Uh, so it could definitely be a really big uh, change in the person's life. Wow. Now, another question. Again, this may be silly, but 
does it affect like one gender or one ethnic group more than another? One um, not not as far as we can we can tell because like in some parts of the um, they don't since the taxi is so rare in some parts of the world. Um, I don't imagine testing and reporting is that active, right? So, uh, like in big countries like India and China, I'm sure since their population is so massive, right? I'm sure numbers are greater, but we're not actively aware of anything, which is why we're currently working on a system and a website so we can include more of these people and make it make everyone more aware of what's going on. Like even we as people with the taxi don't know what's going on in other countries like India, China, or like Eastern Europe and stuff like that. Now you just made you just said something too. Uh, what is the name of your organization? I know you you guys started an organization and you're working real hard on it. Yeah. Um, um, so our organization is called Hope for Ataxia. So you know, as Mark is saying, um, it's such a rare disease that we want to bring further awareness to it. And so we, uh, it's really grassroots, and we. Uh, start with the team of two, Mark and I um, wanted to create this because I found that as I was trying to explain my diagnosis to family and friends, no one had any idea what it was. Um, so that prompted me to think, okay, well, you know, I need to bring more awareness to this. A lot of time it can be, you know, misdiagnosed or thought of as something else. Um, you know, uh, you can you might know people who show the show symptoms, um, but you're not sure what it actually is. So that's where it came from, and we really want to focus on user experience. So stories from people and promote and really highlighting the experiences that people go through and the challenges they overcome. That, that's great. That's a, so, that, so the mission of your organization then is to spread the word and get more people included. Yeah. That's excellent. Mm. I, I think that's really good. I think that I think oh. I really think that's excellent because like I said, I met you guys and you when you said ataxia to me, I was like, what are they talking about? <laughs> and I had <laughs> I had to look it up and I Googled it and I never realized and there's so much information. There is a lot of information on the web about ataxia but mm-hmm. to have someone like you and mark explain it it's a lot easier than to read it and try to ingest it if you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. because you're yeah. giving us firsthand information on it and i was reading mm-hmm. this and they're saying well you know it it, it can it can mimic uh uh somebody that's inebriated or something like that and i'm it, it was it was just difficult to actually read. And now talking to you guys, it's a little it's a lot more clearer to me. So mm-hmm. you you had said yesterday when uh, the other day when we were talking that you also you also do um, classes like support groups. 
you... uh, yes, I just hosted one yesterday. Actually, we do a regular support group for people with dyslexia because I mean, some people in the community are fairly isolated. Now we have this whole COVID thing going on. They're they're more isolated than they were before. <laughs> yeah. right? So uh, yeah, so we try to reach those people. But the unique thing that we do with our support group and our uh, Facebook group is that we realize that you know. Um, let me step back a minute. You know, when people are sick with whatever they have, the first step is usually uh, reaching, trying to find other people who are going through what you're going through. Right. right? Exactly. But then, but then we we tend to close ourselves off. Like I'll only talk to other people with the taxi because no one else understands. Right. Mm-hmm. But the the problem with that is that um, we're not going to build awareness that one. That's right. Right. Um, so our support group and our Facebook group is not just open to people with the taxia. It's open to their friends, their relatives, or anyone who simply wants to know more, because. Um, you were right in, like, when you're reading on a website all this clinical information, it's very dry and detached, right? Exactly. You don't, you don't, you don't identify with any, any one person. So that's why we have to build these communities and, um, engage people on the emotional level. And that can help us spread the awareness wider. Exactly. Well, that's what I'm saying. You guys are putting a voice on it. You guys are putting a face on it right now. It's it's a lot better than trying to read it on the web. I'm telling you that. (laughs) Yeah, well, we're we're working on it. We're uh, currently working on a project to make our website more inclusive. You know, a lot of the taxi information that you'll find out there is put out of North America and it's predominantly in English and stuff like that. So what you want to do is get our, our website translated in multiple languages so people can read the personal stories in their own language and you know, see that they're not alone, and number one, and then other people who don't have a patchy might be able to might be able to read it and identify with it as well. We're also working on um, making it more accessible to people with uh, impairments like hearing and sight and other disabilities. Wow, that's great. But that's a long way down the road, but there's something we'd like to get to. Yeah, but you have you have a, you have something in sight. You, there's a light at the end of the tunnel that you're working towards. That's excellent. Right. What's the What's the website? What's the address? 
of your website? It is hopeforataxia.org. Hope for a so it's www.hopeforataxia.org. Yeah, H O P E F O R H E A X I A dot org. Excellent. And what about your Facebook group? What's the what's the address for that? It's at facebook.com slash groups slash HFA community. And we'll We'll send you the link to that, Jimmy, so you can. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Can yeah. I'm gonna put the link on. I'm gonna put the link on our website, sure. also for it for both. Now, I want. I do want to say this. You have to go over to the Hope for a Taxi website because they have shirts on there. Now, mind you, in my younger days, I was. I rode a motorcycle, and they have shirts on their website that. I'm going to buy one, or if not two, because I used to, like I said, I used to ride a motorcycle. These shirts, if you ride a bike, if you ride a motorcycle, or you ever rode a motorcycle, these shirts are great. They look like biker shirts, but and they're for a good cause. You should go over there, check out the shirts at hopeforataxia.org. They're great. I, I love them. So uh, what, what else do you have going on? Anything going on with it or anything coming up? I know, I know you guys were gonna run an affair, but right now we're all the world's under quarantine. Yeah, we were planning to do a fundraiser in June. Um, this looks like that's gonna happen, and um, we're we're working on maybe doing something virtually, but. Uh, We've never done anything like that, and we're, uh, we don't have a solid plan right now. Mm -hmm. So it may we may have to postpone it until things open back up. And I'm hearing rumors that we could be here for a while. Well, I want I want people to know that you, if you will, I'd like you to come back here when you're gonna when you're gonna when you do have something. Actually, I'd like you to come back sure. here. Even if you don't have something, we can just chat again. But I, yeah. I'd like to um, have you back here and promote it, especially after I held you up for a month. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, yeah. I, I definitely like to be a part of this because I, I find this so interesting. You know, I've run across people associate with a lot of disabled people in my own, in my own life here. And I've come across people that do have the symptoms of what we've been talking about, and I never realized. I thought they were stroke victims, right. to be honest with you, and I didn't want to just ask. I thought I thought they were stroke victims or Parkinson's, and now you have me thinking. You know, yeah. Well, uh, one of the when I was mentioning acquired ataxia before, and one of the ways. Uh, one can acquire a taxi is through a stroke. Really? Yeah. Because it, it basically cuts off oxygen to the brain, right? Uh-huh. So any form of brain injury can cause, like, ataxia or Parkinson's or 
any one of those neurological conditions. Now, that's a good point that you just brought up, and I didn't think of that. Now, would someone that has someone that has Parkinson's would that fall on, or yeah. or or a speech impediment from a stroke? You know, the residual speech impediment would that fall under the umbrella of ataxia? Well. Let me let uh, Courtney talk to you about being monopolized. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry about um, <laughs> So, um, you can definitely have symptoms um, of ataxia. So, um, I'm definitely not, you know, like a scientific expert here. But um, what I understand is that, you know, if you have a stroke and it does affect air of that of the cerebellum mm -hmm. then um you can have like um an ataxic like stroke so it's uh, it, it's classified that way depending on i guess the symptoms that you exhibit um so it, it in, in a way it, it does kind of fall under that umbrella then yeah i mean it's just you know depending on i guess you know the diagnosis and like the area of the brain of what you're presenting. Wow. This is this is an amazing disease, and I can't believe that it's that it's it's hidden like that. I'm not hidden, but so unknown, relatively unknown. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many rare diseases out there, and Taxica is just one of the hundreds of rare diseases. Um, and you know, a lot there. There's a lot of knowledge or will know a lot about, you know, Parkinson's or MS or um, muscular dystrophy. Um, but, you know, there isn't that the same level of awareness in terms of for ataxia. And it can be really debilitating. So, you know, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's tough that there isn't that sort of level of, of um, exposure to it. And we want to just shine a light and lend our voice to more awareness for that. Now, I have a question. Do you guys have a newsletter or anything that goes out? Uh, we're currently working on that. Um, we have plans to, well, hopefully we can have it out in the next month or so. Well, that would be but, excellent. Uh, we try and, the, most, uh, the most active part of our community is, uh, I'd say, the Facebook group. Okay. That's excellent. Well, like I said, I, I definitely want to stay in touch with you guys because I think I think that our audience here will find this very very informative, very impressive, actually. Um, and like I said, I have come across so many people, and I don't want to I don't want to sound rude or, or ask them, hey, what's your, what's your problem? But now that after talking with you and reading up on this, I have a feeling that I've come across people that do have it. You know, yeah. and it's funny because I, I I tell you a real quick story. I have a buddy of mine, and we kind of go back twenty years, twenty five years, and we lost touch because I had moved, and we were friends in Pennsylvania, and I moved down south, and we lost touch for a couple of years. And out of the blue, I got a, a phone call from him, and every so often he used to drink a little bit. And he calls me up at 9 o'clock in the morning. And when he called me, he, uh, he sounded like he was drunk. And right. he left a message on my phone. 
And I was like, I can't even talk to him. Nine o'clock in the morning, you're this drunk. I can't, I can't even talk to you. Turns out the guy had a stroke. And then he had other problems. And now everything that you just explained to me, he's been going through. And yeah. I, <laughs> I'm sitting here feeling bad. I'm thinking about him as we're talking. And I just took, you know, I, I, I made a bad, I, I made a bad decision, not a, a decision, but I had a bad impression of, of him right from the beginning. And here there's a problem. It, it's unbelievable. And like I said, I knew nothing about this disease. I knew he had a stroke, but terrible. It's terrible. Well, guys, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for coming on and explaining this to us. I, I want to thank you for being patient with me. And I definitely want you to come back. And we're going to promote yeah. whatever whatever it is you're going to do with your, with your promotion for your group. We're going to promote it. We're going to push it. Yeah. And we're going to, we're going to help. Uh, I want to be part of it. All right. I, have, I, just sent, yeah, I just sent you the link on Facebook. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks. All right. well, thank you so much, Jimmy, for having us on. You know, it's, um, you've been a great host, um, and you've been really kind. Um, and we're really honored to be able to share a bit of what you know what we're both passionate about uh, with the wider audience. And we look forward to sort of uh, the future and uh, talking with you again. Thank you so much. And yes, we'll definitely talk again. All right, you guys have a great weekend. Thanks, you too. All right. Take care, Mark. All right, buddy. Yep. Boy, Mark and Courtney, they are such nice people. And I tell you what, they don't let a disability like a taxi get them down. They're like a ball of fire. They're out there, and they're on the move constantly, seven days a week, and they're working towards enlightening people about this ataxia. They're amazing. That's the only thing I can say about them. More people should be like them. They're hardworking people, and... Like I said, they don't let it get them down. It's just something else that they have to get around, an obstacle they have to get over. But they do it. They do it. Fantastic people. Well, listen, thanks a lot for stopping by. And I want to remind you, no matter what, no matter what, things can always be worse. That's right. Right now, there's someone somewhere wishing that they were in your position. So things can always be worse, my friends. And remember this, too. No one ever went blind by looking at something from the bright side. I know it's terrible right now. We're in this shelter-in-place bit, but it's going to get better. I know it's going to get better. Okay, we're going to talk more later on in the week. You have a great night, a great day. Stay warm. Stay contacted with your friends. Don't become a hermit. You've been listening to An Apple A Day. My name is Jimmy Apple. And remember this, my friends. Laughter is the best medicine. thanks for listening to an apple a day with jimmy apple your gateway to a happy healthy life join our community at www.famousapple.com see you next time